0: we are in Luke chapter 2, and the last time I taught, we had read about the signs that were given to the shepherds. There were two signs, that they would find a baby in a manger, and the second sign that they would be wrapped, that the baby would be wrapped in cloth. Uh, And so, both of these being signs, they had to be unusual features. Because if they had been usual, they wouldn't have been assigned. So this was an unusual cloth that the baby was wrapped in. And the baby was to be found in a manger. So the shepherds, being shepherds, this is in Luke chapter 2, knew exactly where to go. So in in Luke 2.12 says, This will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Okay, so the sign had two components. Baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger, which is a feeding trough. So the shepherds know not to go to... Homes. They know where to go to find feeding troughs. The shepherds know this. They know that they're going to go to a barn, to a stable. And a stable back then was, uh, was a cave. Or it would be outside, right, uh, right in front of the cave, e- either way. And then it says that, that uh, we had talked about how the, the suddenly in verse 13, there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, and how they didn't sing, they said, It was a proclamation, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So let's start reading at verse 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. So, remember what had been told to the shepherds, that, that uh, a Savior had been born. So here's what the shepherds said to them in verse 10. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Okay, so this concept of Savior was not unique to the Jews. In fact, all the Judges in the book of Judges were were called Saviors. The same sort of thing. So people that were there to save the country out of their troubles. But the unique thing about this is that this is going to be Christ the Lord, the Messiah, the long-awaited one. This one's going to be different. And then they get the signs. And so in verse 15, you know, these are relatively simple people. These are not religious people. These are just shepherds. So the first announcement comes to angels, from angels, comes not to the religious leaders. Not You would think, well, why not go to the rabbis? They're the ones who are in charge of this whole thing. Let them go. But no, it comes to the simple shepherds. I mean, why? why does God choose shepherds of all people? Chooses simple shepherds, and he goes and he proclaims them, and look at their simplicity. In verse 15, when the angel had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they were saying it to each other. So the shepherd goes away, and this dialogue is starting between them. Remember, these are just simple guys. They're saying, you know, we just had this visitation by angels. Maybe we should do what they said. What a novel concept. <laughs> to obey what, what has been proclaimed to us to do. Uh, to see. And so they were given signs and they thought, Hey, you know, remember he, he told us to look for, for a baby in a manger. Wrapped in cloth. So, so something that's unusual. So they begin to go look at this. And he uses their trade. They're being shepherds to facilitate their being able to find this child, so they know exactly where the stables are, where they're going to find mangers. And so so God uses that expertise that they have to put them in the right place. And they go, and they come in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. So, look what they do. They go and... And they find this baby, just as was described, lying in a manger, wrapped in cloth. You see, this is the two signs, wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Two unusual things that are not commonly done. And we talked about this cloth last time, this grave cloth. But um, then, you see, there's no interpretation here, because they're shepherds. Had it come to some religious person, let me tell you what this means. Let me interpret this for you. And you get all sorts of, you know, fluff around it, which may or may not be correct, but the shepherds, they're not religious folks. So you've met simple people in your life, haven't you? I mean, one day, Shereen and I were invited to a a real backcountry church in Indiana. We had met some people, and they were going to be speaking at this church, and it was uh, a few miles a few hours' drive into the back country in Indiana, and I'm sitting in this church and, and you know, everybody was nice, and, and one, one of the elders of the church comes up to me and he says, "So, what do you do for a living?" And I said, "I'm a graduate student in chemistry." He says, "Oh, chemistry, I don't know nothing about chemistry. only thing I know is water, HBO, water HBO. <laughs> and, you know and then we're serious. These are simple folks, just simple folks. So I didn't, I didn't say anything to him. And, and, uh, but you've all met simple people, haven't you, at times? This is who God appears to first. God gets a kick out of this, ministering to these simple folks and saying, you are going to be the ones I'm first going to tell you about this. So they go, and they just tell Joseph and Mary and the people who were there, that they saw these angels proclaiming this, and this angel had appeared to them and said this to them. No interpretation, just this proclamation. So, so maybe God sometimes just wants no interpretation. Just say what you saw. And then in verse 18, And all who heard it wondered at, that, at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. So they're going back, glorifying and praising God. And the implication is that these are probably Jewish shepherds, but we don't know for sure. But they probably are. It's certainly Jewish territory. Um, And they go back praising God. But you see, they never worshipped the child. There was no sophistication there. They were not not told to worship the child. They didn't know to worship the child. These are just simple folks. So they just go back praising God for all that they had seen and heard. No worship of the child. But it says in verse 18, And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And if you look at the difference between Mary and everyone else, Everyone else wondered about the things. Wow, this is kind of strange. These folks coming and saying that they saw angels saying the proclamation from an angel and then a heavenly host making another proclamation. But you know, you never can trust simple folks, right? You know, that's probably the thought that's going through the mind. this is strange, the things they're saying. It says, but Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. If I had to describe to you what is meditation on the Word of God, I think this is a tremendous verse. To treasure all these things and ponder them in the heart. Meditation on the Word of God is to treasure the Word and to ponder them in the heart. Ponder the Word in our heart. That's what meditation on the Scripture is. So, you know, I, I talk a lot about meditation on the Word of God, and people will ask, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to meditate? And so I'm not sitting there in, uh, I don't know what you, what you call it, pretzel style or Indian style with my legs crossed, and, <coughs> you know, and my eyes closed and, and just humming. You know, I'm not doing that. Not that you, you can't do that, but meditation on the Word of God. Is to take this word and absolutely treasure it, and then to ponder it. What does this mean, Lord? What are you speaking to me through this? Turn to, uh, turn to, to Psalm 119. This this whole psalm is just proclaiming the beauties of the Word of God. And whenever I feel that I'm getting a bit dry, in the sense of of losing, a Tremendous excitement about the Word of God. I will read Psalm 119. It's the longest book of the Bible. It's a very long book. But it just can reconstitute and rekindle a love for the Scriptures. Look in verse 9 of Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your Word. I mean, look how profound this is. You want to know how to keep your way pure? Keep it according to His Word. I can tell you what will draw you away from the Lord. I've seen it. Sin. If you continue in a pattern of sin, you do day after day things that you know are wrong, it draws you away from God. You know what separates you from God? Sin. Sin draws us away from God. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. If we keep according to God's word, if we keep walking according to God's word, it causes us to walk uprightly. Verse 10, with all my heart I have sought you, do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. So look again, this is this treasure, this same sense. Mary pondered all these things, treasuring them in her heart. To her, this word of God was a treasure. I'll tell you what will make you strong in life. I'll tell you what will make you a good spouse, a good parent, a good worker. If you make this Word of God your treasure and your meditation, your life will go well. I don't know, you may die when you're 25. You might. But until then, your life will go well. If you take this Word and make it your treasure and your meditation. The thought that used to go through my mind a lot when I was a young believer... Was will I remain close to the Lord? Because I had seen people also drift from God. Will I really remain close, or am I going to become like, you know, lethargic in my faith and not deeply interested? And you know, maybe church is important to me. Maybe it's not. Maybe the Bible is important. Maybe it's not. You keep in this word and you treasure it. You will be. You will be very close to the Lord. This is what it says. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you when you take this word and treasure it again and again you get stopped the lord is very good at this he'll stop you in your tracks and remind you of something you're doing wrong you don't know that you're doing wrong until you read it in the word of god and you go yikes i can't do that anymore because the world tells us one thing and and it's 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 not necessarily the case because God knows what's going to bring peace in our lives, what's going to bring pre- peace in our marriages, what's going to be- bring peace in our relationships. God knows. You do what's written in this book, it will go well for you. Even if the Word of God is proclaiming that, you know, it's okay to sleep around, really no problem. As long as you two love each other and you're consenting adults, it's fine. The Word of God says, no. It's going to destroy your future marriage. It's going to destroy your life. It's going to draw you away from God. You're going to be really miserable. It's going to be really miserable. In fact, they they talk about teen suicide rate goes up dramatically for people who are sleeping around. So if it brings that much joy and that much wonderful things, why why are they killing themselves more? Because the Word of God is right. Long after we're dead and gone and long after our culture is dead and gone and passed away, this book will remain. Trust me, this book will be here. This is the way to go. You treasure this word. Verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Verse 13. This is Psalm 119, verse 13. With my lips I have told of all the ordinance of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Again, you see this this sense of treasure. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. This Word of God should become to you something of more value than all riches. You say, well, I don't have much money anyway. Yes, you don't have much, but that may change someday. Of more value to you than all riches is this Word of God. If that happens, you will have a very good life. Remember, there are many rich people that I know, and I don't desire what they have, but they desire what I have. Because of the treasure of the Word of God. This is worth more than riches. He says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimony as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. You see, this this whole psalm is just filled with passage after passage of the glories of the word of God. This is what Mary did. She heard these words. She treasured them. And she pondered them in her heart. To take it and say, I deeply respect, Father, your word. Teach me. Teach me your word. If you speak to me through your word, I will obey. Then it's like the floodgates of heaven open. Okay, we got a deal here. I will teach you my ways because you said you will obey. And it just opens up. And all of a sudden, a portion that you're looking at, it's like a light comes on and you see all these things in it that you never saw before. That nobody else has seen. that you, you Because God just starts to illumine. God does this. This is what meditation is. You treasure it and then just ponder it in your heart. Just work it on through. Just think about this verse through the day. Just ponder it. Just say this verse and think about it. Consider it. This is what meditation is. And so then in verse 20, we're back in... in, in Luke chapter two verse twenty. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God, for they had heard and seen, for for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. So again, they never worshipped the child. They weren't very sophisticated. They didn't know. They're just simple folks. And you want to know something? God likes simple folks. It's okay. So we have all these seminaries that have this deep training, this deep teaching, and you would think, oh well, then God really loves those people much more because they understand. Every theological concept and permutation. Not necessarily so. I mean, who did he reveal himself to? It wasn't, it, 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 wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't the priests. It wasn't the Levites. It was a bunch of shepherds. You know, there's something about the simplicity of the Word of God. There's a, there's a verse that, that uh, Paul had written that said, I fear for you that you've lost the simplicity of your faith in Christ. The simplicity of your faith in Christ. Just to keep a simple, close relationship with Christ. It is fine to learn all these deep theological concepts, but it doesn't necessarily make you closer to God. In fact, Paul said, it can fill your head with such knowledge that it can draw you astray, thinking that you're better than you really are. There's something about a simplicity of relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can see it in pastors. There are some pastors that have such a depth of relationship. But it doesn't come because they went to the seminary. Lots of people go to seminaries. It comes because they spend a lot of time on their knees with God. And you go, there's something different about that person. It's because they've been with Jesus. That's what it says. It says that the religious leaders noticed something about Peter and John they noticed something about their difference in them because they had been with Jesus. You know, these were simple men, they were simple fishermen, but because they had been with Jesus, the religious leaders noted there was something different about them. They had been with Jesus. You spend time with Jesus and there's a simplicity and a beauty that comes that you cannot get from a seminary. You cannot get it from a seminary. In fact, you can go and and speak to professors of Bible, but they'll know a whole lot more theological concepts than you and I will ever know. But there's no depth of relationship with God. It gets some of my colleagues at Rice upset, and I know this because they've told me that they are in the religion department and students don't go to them for religion counseling, they come to me. And they've confronted me on this. they have all this teaching and all this understanding, and students come to me for insight on this thing. And they say, you know, lots of people running around out there just think they know stuff, but they have no, no real foundation in this. They just look at them, because it's hard to communicate to them that there's something of the Spirit that you guys are missing. There's something of a knowledge of God that comes out of a depth of relationship. This is what these folks have. And you get it by treasuring this Word of God. If you make this Word of God your treasure and your meditation, you will do very well. Americans are particularly good at reading. Very good readers. They will read all volumes of everything. But very little understanding of the Scriptures. Actual reading of the Bible. They'll have read all sorts of stuff. I mean, so many books. And and I've, I've, I've heard... People talk, even students, they've read so many more books than I have. And they know this author and this author and this author. You drive around the streets around here, you know, Auden and Byron. and You have all these, these, these famous writers, American writers. And, oh, you know, I've read this by this person. I haven't read any of that. I mean, I read what I needed to read to get into college, you know. Usually the, the Sparks notes or whatever it was. But you make this Word of God your meditation. You will do very, very well. Because this you can't get from any other place. This is really different. Alright, let's go to verse 21 in, Matthew, in, in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 verse 21. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So we had read previously how the angel Gabriel had spoken independently to Mary, and to Joseph, that his name would be called Jesus. He didn't want there to be any family friction here over, you're not going to name that child. (laughs) No, he wanted to be sure, so he shared it with the man and with the woman, that his name is going to be called Jesus. And so the official naming doesn't take place till the, the, the circumcision, on the eighth day. And so they wait till the eighth day to have the official naming, and his name officially then becomes Jesus. The name that had been given Uh, uh, by the angel before when he was conceived in the womb. Now in verse 22. And when the days for her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Okay. So, for a woman, after 40 days of birth, after birth of a male child in Israel, according to the law of Moses, remember, Jesus fulfilled the law, and his parents fulfilled the law in his birth. And so, after 40 days, she had to uh, uh, give up an offering, both a sin offering and a guilt offering. This is spoken about in in, in, uh, uh, Leviticus, where is that? I didn't write it down. It is Leviticus chapter 12. So Leviticus chapter 12 is the chapter that covers all of this. But after 40 days, she has to offer up purification for herself. But in addition to that, since this was the firstborn male that she had, an offering had to be given up for the firstborn male in dedication to the Lord. So there are two offerings that had to be given up. Uh, One for her own purification, but another because it was the firstborn male that she was having. 40 days... After the birth of the male. If she gave birth to a female, there's 80 days that she has to go through before her purification ceremony. And I have no idea why it's 40 versus 80. Maybe somebody in the religion department could tell you I was 40 rather than 80. But it's written in Leviticus. That's what it was. So we know that in verse 22, when it says, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, that's 40 days, not 8 days. 8 days was in verse 21, the circumcision. So, uh, in verse 22 uh, came, the, uh, came the presentation of, of Mary. And what we see in verse 21 is Jesus was indeed circumcised. Circumcision, and we touched on this before. Remember, there were two, exa- two circumcisions in the Bible. One was given to Abraham. That was to be a perpetual covenant, an everlasting covenant, with the descendants of those of the children of Abraham, particularly Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, So those who come from Jacob because Abraham had other children which were not of the Jewish line. It had to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob continued through that line or anyone that lived in their home. Any male lived in their home had to be circumcised in the home of of, of a Jew. That was the circumcision as it was given to Abraham. Then there was a second circumcision that was talked about in the Bible. That was given to Moses. That came under the law. And under the law... They had to be circumcised on the eighth day. The law of Moses circumcision was done away with when Jesus completed the entire law. That's been done away with. No longer is there circumcision. And that wasn't just for the Jew. It was any Gentile that wanted to live among the commonwealth of Israel. Also, the, the male was to be circumcised. Anyone living among the commonwealth of Israel. But then, in Acts chapter 15... So the typical Gentile view is, is that they can't understand the difference between Acts chapter 15 and Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 15, Paul does not have Titus circumcised. Why? Because Titus is a Greek. He says, he says further in, in, in Galatians chapter, chapter 2 and 3, that, that chapter 2 verse 3, that if, as a Gentile, you get circumcised, then you're obliged to keep the whole law too. You can't just keep that one. There were 613 commandments to Moses. You keep them all then. You're going to have a lot of trouble with that. Uh, But he, in Acts chapter 16, he has Timothy circumcised. Why? He says, because Timothy, you're a Jew. Because your mother was a Jew. And, And he says, either mother or father could be a Jew, and they were to be circumcised. And so he had Timothy circumcised. Why? Not in observance to the law of Moses, but in observance to the commandment of Abraham. So a Jew today, whether believer or unbeliever, and by believer or unbeliever, I mean believer in Jesus Christ as Messiah, or whether they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, just as a Jew, they should have their sons circumcised on the eighth day, in adherence to the perpetual covenant that came through Abraham. That is the Abrahamic covenant. That is why Paul had Timothy circumcised in, in Acts chapter 16, but not Titus circumcised in Acts chapter 12. Now, you, you I, I mean, very often, I mean, circumcision is common just for health reasons. That's fine, but from a religious standpoint, it should only be done for a Jew in observance to the lineage of Abraham. That was a perpetual covenant which was never done away with, and that was underscored again in Acts chapter 16. Jesus was circumcised under both of the covenants because he was circumcised still under the law, under the Abrahamic covenant, which came in the book of Genesis, and then under the, the uh, Levitical covenant, or the, the Mosaic covenant. Okay, so, and in fact, Moses was not going to have his son circumcised because his wife... Zipporah was giving him real trouble with that. And you know what God wanted to do for Moses because he, he wasn't following through on the circumcision of his sons? What was God going to do to Moses? anybody remember? He was going to kill him. That's right. Look in, look in uh, I mean, you don't mess around with God. God's serious about this type of thing. Look, look in, uh, okay, Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. Really interesting verse. You know, even Moses had some marital discord. You know, Moses argued once in a while with his wife, too. So, look in in Exodus chapter 4. Let's start reading from verse 24. Now, it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him, that's Moses, and sought to put him to death. It's in Exodus chapter 4, verse 24. The Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint, that's, that's Moses' wife, Zipporah, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. At that time she said, you are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Interesting passage. So here Moses was not, was not uh, uh, circumcising his own son. Why? Because his wife Zipporah, remember that his wife Zipporah, the, 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 her, her uh, father was the priest of Midian. He found her out in the wilderness. She wasn't particularly of the Jewish race. And so, she didn't want to, to have this kid uh, circumcised and Moses wasn't going to follow through with it. So, God meets Moses to kill him. You don't follow through with this? This is serious business. God meets him to kill him. And so his wife says, fine. And she cuts off the foreskin and throws it at Moses's feet. I mean, this happens in marriages. I mean, sometimes you know, things happen like this. So, so if you ever go through this in marriage, don't think that, you, you know, this is unique. I mean, stuff happens. And she throws it at Moses' feet. There. There's the foreskin. and So God says, okay, I won't kill your husband now. And, and that took care of it. But Moses... To, in order to keep peace in the home, he was willing to, to even face God. And God was going to kill the kid. And so then Zipporah gave in, and she circumcised the boy. And through the, through the foreskin at, at Moses' feet, said, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. I mean, this is a, this is a pretty heavy argument in the house. They call him a bridegroom of blood. I mean, this is Moses. I mean, this is the greatest guy in the Old Testament. I mean, things happen in marriage, and you don't give up on it. Things happen. Arguments occur. You know, discord happens. But you don't give up on it. This is an important principle for us. You, know, you see it through. And, you know, Moses could describe, Oh, I married the wrong woman. I should have married somebody from Israel. I should have married someone from my own tribe. Why did I marry this, this woman who's a, you know, her priest of Midian's daughter of all people? Yeah, she was pretty, but, you know, beauty's kind of gone now. No, but he gets over it. You know, he wasn't going to do away with this marriage. Look what God did. So, in other words, this was an important thing. So, turning back to, uh, to Luke chapter, chapter 2, then it says, then she gives up her offering, and, and it says uh, in verse 24, what did she offer up? She offered up a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Well, it's interesting if... You, if um, You were supposed to give a burnt offering. So this is in Leviticus chapter 12 again, verses 1 through 8. It says that in this offering, on this purification, you're supposed to offer up a burnt offering, a lamb. A lamb for a burnt offering. And this sin offering was supposed to be a turtle dove. It said, except if you're very poor, then you can offer up two uh, two birds. A turtle dove or a pigeon. So so, uh, um, you could only offer up Two total loves. You didn't have to offer up a lamb unless you were very poor. So this tells us the home that Jesus was born to, in, into, that he was very poor. And in fact, this was prophesied in Isaiah. If you look in Isaiah chapter 11, the prophecy concerned, concerning the birth of, of Jesus into this family of David, it said... Verse 11, Isaiah 11.1 1 says, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. So it even brings it back to Jesse. If you look in Second Chronicles at all the riches that David had, it was enormous what he had amassed in building up that kingdom. David became extremely wealthy. But who was David's father? David's father was Jesse. What was Jesse's occupation? He was a shepherd. So Jesse's occupation was he was a shepherd. And so David was out shepherding shepherding Jesse's flock. Remember when, when he was called in by Samuel to be anointed. So here it brings it back to the likeness when it was from Jesse. It doesn't even say a root will spring from David. It says a root will spring from Jesse. Brings him right back to the time of real poverty. So riches are not forever. But remember both uh, uh, Joseph and Mary are descendants of David from two different children. Mary being a descendant through Nathan, his son, and, and, uh, 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 Sol- and, and jo- Joseph being a descendant through Solomon. Neither of them is wealthy because they would never have been allowed to go without sacrificing a lamb at this unless they were dirt poor. This is the family that Jesus was born into dirt poor. Had they had some money they wouldn't have been they probably wouldn't have had to uh um, stay out in, in, in a stable to have their child. They could have afforded something uh, but but you see that that this is what God chose again simplicity that there's entrance no matter what your physical status is, no matter what your monetary status is. God chose for his son. To be born, to be laid in a feeding trough, and to be raised in a family that was dirt poor. That shows you the value that God puts upon money in families. Thinking that, oh, God loves you more if you have more money. Not so. In fact, God chose for His Son not to have money. Not to grow up in a family where there's money. So, in fact, the richness that occurs in the life of a family is not coupled to money. And, in fact, it is almost antithetical to having money. The richness that occurs is something that is much richer than what money can bring. And this is what this home had. It was a simple home and, uh, uh, and, and, and really quite poor. Okay, so we're gonna, we're, we'll end there and we'll pick up next time. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of it. Father, thank You that You have chosen the simple ones to be able to hear the message. That You chose a poor family for the one to, to, to bear the Lord Jesus and to raise Him. Father, thank You that You came in simplicity. Lord, I pray for these young people that they would learn what meditation is that they would learn to treasure these things, treasure the Word of God and ponder it in their hearts. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would treasure the Word of God and ponder it in their hearts as they meditate on Psalm 119, that You would fill them with a deep, abiding respect for the Word of God, how the Scriptures, how the Word of God can keep them out of trouble, can keep them out of sin can keep them from doing wrong. Father, do this in their lives, that they may have good lives. Father, I pray for Your grace. Your mercies abound. The grace of God be with them. In the name of Jesus. Amen.